You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast, the Dunkin' Donuts episode. Boop, boop. Doesn't matter if you've been sprinkled or dunked. If you don't know Jesus, you just got wet. <laughs> this week we have with us Pastor Darren Enns. Welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Your intros keep getting better. I'm working, Rob. I'm working they on do. it. <laughs> I'm working on it. So you guys, you guys bring all the heavy stuff. I just try to, if I can get the first sentence of the podcast right, we're good, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Pastor That's Drew good. Tarwater, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I, can, I see those creative juices are flowing. It's the coffee. So it is. It's, those it's, are the creative juices. Right. That's where I get them from. So. As and Drew I'm just right. chugs the rest of his energy drink. <laughs> yes. If you it's only coffee. were. It's coffee. It's coffee. Coffee in a can. Coffee in a can. So, and Still I'm coffee. Rob Lazzi. Thank you guys for listening. So last week, Drew, we ta- you started on John the Baptist on Sunday morning. So question I have for you, did Jesus and John know each other? Like, yeah. how, did they, how did they know each other when they, when they met as a, like more grown adults, I guess? It's really interesting. Yeah, we talked about John the Baptist, and, and he was an interesting dude. You know, I, I joke that he's like the modern-day, rugged, Colorado outdoor guy, right? Like, he wore, you know, uh, camel hair and a leather belt and ate locusts and honey, and he's like the perfect dude you see with a Jeep with one of those tents on top, right? You know, and he's eating, like, bobos and cliff bars and wearing Patagonia shirts and Chaco sandals. You Do you know, wear socks he, with those sandals? Like, that? Is that a... Now nah, he, yeah, he, he wouldn't have fallen for that faux pas. I mean, I think okay. John kind of had it together, uh, okay. but yeah. So John and Jesus were cousins though. You, you see that early in the book of Luke that Mary was cousins with John's mom, Elizabeth. And so we have to believe that they, at some point they, you know, family reunion, they hung out, right. They were like tossing the football or kicking the soccer ball around back as kids. But then you see this really interesting thing. So John felt that God was calling him to go and prepare the way for the Messiah. So he's out baptizing people, telling them to repent of their sin and to get their hearts ready for the Messiah. And then you see all four Gospels talk about Jesus' baptism. And Jesus shows up and John John recognizes him. And we have to assume that John, you know, there's, I, I kind of think there's two options here. So John walk, Jesus walks up to John and John's like, wait a second, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 you go ahead and baptize me. And so all righteousness will be fulfilled. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So one of two things here, and Darren and Rob, I'd love your opinions on this real quick. We're, we're going to move into, into um, not 100% sure theological <laughs> mode on this, a little bit of speculation. That's, but my, that, that's my specialty, not That's your specialty, right. So, so d- does John see Jesus and say, oh, hey, Jesus, I can't baptize you because he knows he's the Messiah, which I don't think that's it. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Um, be- 
because of what he says later? Or does John see Jesus and go, hey, you should be baptizing me because we grew up as kids and I don't think I ever saw you sin, right? You're my cousin and I don't think I ever saw you push down your sister and I never saw you throw rocks at the cars under the overpass. And, you know, like, Jesus, you're a super holy dude. You should be baptizing me. And so there's a couple of theories on that, on why John says that to Jesus. I don't know if you guys have any opinions on that. I'll start, Darren, because then you can correct me. <laughs> and that is like my understanding of it was that he always he knew that he was the savior, that he was the Messiah. Like why, you know, he jumped in the womb when they met, you know, preborn. Why they, you know, he knew who Jesus was, maybe not to the, you know, how it was all going to play out but he knew Jesus was the son of God. That's just kind of maybe, you know, Sunday school learning of what I've yeah. always thought. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of what I have in the back of my mind as well. I don't really, this is some is not something that I've researched a lot. Um, there's one verse that we kind of had honed in on um, in John one verse 31. It's right after um, it, John looks at Jesus and says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's something there. Like John does know, what Jesus is doing, um, and and uh, it, this is right after he, or it's, it's right, yeah, as, as Jesus is, is being baptized, verse 31 says, I myself did not know him, that him uh, likely referring to like the Messiah, the, the one who is supposed to be the one uh, who, who takes away the sins of the world or, or like who the, the one who's the conquering king, you know, it, it kind of depends on, on what John's view of the Messiah is. But yeah, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm not sure, um, Drew, now that we've answered bumbling questions, you, you go for it. <laughs> yeah, so here's what I think's going on. You know, I, like you guys, I, I really kind of thought it was clear that John saw Jesus, knew he was the Messiah, and said, I'm not worthy to, to baptize you. You need to baptize me. But what's interesting is if you put the pieces of the puzzle together, it looks to me like Jesus comes up to John, and John knows this is Jesus, my cousin. And then when Jesus is baptized, then the Spirit comes down on Jesus in the baptism. It's at that point that John goes, wow, Jesus is the Messiah. Because if you look at that verse in John chapter 1, it says this, that the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one that I said was I was not fit to untie a sandal. And then what he says this in verse 33, um, or I'm sorry, verse 32, it says, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. So I think it depends on the order. If Jesus comes up the next day after he's baptized, then John says, this is the son of God. And here's how I know. Before I baptized him, I just thought he was my cousin. But when I baptized him, the Holy Spirit descended on him and now I know he is the son of God. He is the, the lamb of God. Does that make sense? So I, I think when he, the, the spirit descending on Jesus was the proof that showed John that Jesus was the Messiah. So, so that means if Jesus gets baptized before John 1, 29, 
then John says to Jesus, hey, I'm not even worthy to baptize you. Could it be that John knew Jesus' life before that moment and said, hey, Jesus, you're a pretty holy guy. I've spent my childhood with you a couple times. You should baptize me. Does that make sense? You guys see the clarification there? Yeah, I think so. I have a caveat, and this is a story I, I was looking for. I knew it was there, where John the Baptist like sends some disciples to Jesus in Luke 7, um, like starting in verse 18. Um, because John, John the Baptist is, is still like inquiring about who Jesus is. Like, and so he sends disciples and, and they ask him, um, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? Like, is Jesus the one or mm-hmm. are we expecting someone else? So there, there's almost still some ambiguity like John and his disciples don't really know. Mm. I tend to think of that as like, well, maybe they've started to realize that the Messiah that everyone expects to be this conquering king, that wasn't really Jesus's jam. And so they're, they're kind of confused. I think that's it. I think at that moment, John's, the Holy Spirit sends on Jesus and John says, oh my gosh, this is the, the Lamb of God. But John probably thought like the rest of Israel that Jesus was going to come be this conquering king. And since he hasn't done it yet, John's probably wondering, are you really the one who was supposed to come? Yeah, like he was hanging out with all the wrong people, all the sick people and lame and healing people. And, and that's Jesus's response there in Luke 7. It's like, right. look, I've been, I've been bringing the kingdom in this form, not in the other form. Yeah, I love it. Because what does he say to John, his disciples? He's like, well, what do you see? Like the blind see, the deaf hear, the sick are healed. Like, yeah, I'm bringing the kingdom of God. I am the one. Yeah, I I don't know enough to agree or disagree, but I do have a follow-up question about John the Baptist for Darren. Did he start the Baptist movement? Uh, If he was alive in in like the 1500s, (laughs) Potentially, but I, I doubt he was. <laughs> Jesus is the only one alive. Fair yeah, it's, in, it's interesting, Rob. You know, baptism was a common practice in, you know, in ancient Judaism. You know, and, and if, if somebody was a, I talked about this a little bit on Sunday, but if somebody was, you know, a Gentile who wanted to become Jewish, they would have to be baptized, like immersed in water, you know, as a symbol of their old life being gone, as an outsider coming into the family. And so, you know, John came in baptizing. People understood what baptism meant. Hmm. Although, Darren, correct me if I'm wrong, it was not viewed upon well by the Pharisees. Yeah, because some of these people who John was baptizing were Jews. And like, that's scandalous. Like, no, this is for Gentiles becoming Jews. So what are you, what are you doing? That, that was very scandalous. Um, and not only that, <clears throat> but um, with, like, as we read in, in, in Scripture in, in Mark, uh, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. There's, there's not anything like baptism, this washing away of water, is not supposed to be for your sins. That was a sacrificial temple duty. Uh, and that also was scandalous. So like John was initiating this, this Messiah, it was a new Messiah movement. Why? That's why some people thought he was the Messiah and he had to respond to that question. It's like, no, there's someone else coming. Um, I'm just preparing his, his, you know, making the, the valleys high and the mountains low for the Messiah. Uh, so yeah, it, it was very, very scandalous for those two reasons. So then here's a question then is if baptism is about repentance, then why did Jesus need to be baptized? Such a good question. You know, you think about baptism. So, so I, I think I want to just back up just a second, Rob. I would say repentance and baptism, I think, go hand in hand. But, you know, 
the, the baptism is the symbol of the repentance, right? And so it's not like you need to be repent and baptized as one thing. You know, they're one, they're, they're one unified thing. I think it's the repentance is the heart attitude. It's the heart change. And the baptism is the symbolic piece of this. And, and so when John says, hey, he's calling people to repentance and baptism, he's saying, look, guys, you need to confess your sin and repent of your sin and then come and be baptized as the symbol of the forgiveness of your sin so that your heart's getting right for God. Um, and so I, I think that that's, that's kind of a clarifier. And so when Jesus comes and gets baptized, I mean, Jesus, he's sinless. He was the sinless son of God, born of a virgin, never sinned in his life. Jesus didn't have a sin nature uh, because he was divine. He was fully man and fully God. So Jesus didn't need to get baptized for the, for, you know, to symbolize his sins were forgiven. But instead, Jesus wanted to get baptized because it, it was a, a way for him to identify with sinful humanity. So Jesus came on and took our form. He's going to live the life we live. He's going to get baptized because he's saying, you guys are outsiders, and now you're going to come into the family through me. I'm going to identify as an outsider so that when I go to the cross, I've completely identified with you, and that will lead to the forgiveness of sins. So I love it, the beautiful humility. It's like what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Like Jesus, you know, emptied himself of his deity by stepping out, he stepped out of heaven, took on the form of a man. He was still fully God as a man, but became a humble servant for us. And so I love that. He got baptized when he didn't need to, so he could identify with us. So I've got another, another caveat. Notice I'm not saying devil's advocate because being a devil is not good, but a caveat, <laughs> uh, a different, different form. Um, okay, let's see if I can articulate this as it was forming in my brain. Um, so the command is repent and be baptized. Both of those are, are imperatives. They're not like repent and baptism is optional. Like the, right. the, the words say repent and be baptized. Um, oh, caveat to my caveat. The thief on the cross uh, that was with Jesus like gives us a really big perspective because when this thief had no chance to be baptized, he seemed to repent in his asking for Jesus to remember him. And Jesus said, "Yes, you'll be with me in paradise." You know, later that day when they both would would die. So there's that caveat. Now back to my original caveat. Um, <laughs> so. Th- that there does seem to be this tension in the Bible that baptism is a huge deal. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, if, if you have any chance, you really, 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 really should, should do it. And so I, I, I might ask someone today who has a chance to be baptized, but, but they won't. Uh, I, I would start, I would want to ask them, well, what, what was your repentance then? Like what, how, what is really in your heart that you, you claim to follow Jesus to be turning away from your, the, the ways in which you used to walk and, but you won't make a public profession of that. I, I, I really want to know why you will not be baptized. Um, and I, I think that that could reveal a little bit more desire for Jesus to work on you. If, if you won't really take that step and, and go out there and, and, and commit this symbol. Um, because th- this thing that, that we do is one of those commands in scripture like the Lord's Supper. And Jesus only wants us to do two things that, that are like, you know, ritualistic or ordinances, and that, that's the Lord's Supper and baptism. So if if you are, you know, taking a communion with us at, at the end of every, the last Sunday of every month is our tradition, um, but you have never, never been baptized, I, I really want to know what's, what's holding you back from that. Yeah, I love what you said there, Darren, because I think it, it brings this, this um, truth out that Jesus does call us to obedience. 
And so, you know, baptism is the obedience that follows the decision. And so repent and be baptized. You're right. You know, they're, you're like the thief on the cross, you know, they weren't like, Hey guys, time out, everybody. We're going to baptize this guy real fast. You know, a five gallon bucket. And, uh, <laughs> right. And, and I know over time, over time, you know, we'll talk about this, but church tradition has, has, you know, kind of intermingled those two in, in, in many faith traditions, but yeah, it's the obedience piece to this, you know, and there's the, there's that interesting scene where Jesus sends out his, his disciples, right. And he says, Hey, I want you to go out and I want you to, you know, let people know in the neighboring villages that the kingdom of God is at hand. And he said, you know, if they, if they deny you, then shake off your dust off your sandals. But you remember what he says there? If you, if you acknowledge me in public, I'll acknowledge you to my father. If you deny me in public, I'm going to deny you to my father. And I, I don't think Jesus is saying that if you don't get baptized and you're quiet about your faith, you're not saved. I just think he's saying the obedience of this means that you need to, that, that part of your faith is a, it's a public faith. It's not just a private faith. It's a personal faith, but it's a public faith. And so, yeah, Darren, I love what you said there about, you know, just that those things are so closely related because that's how we publicly show others of our faith. Yeah, no, I know what you guys are saying there. Like I was, you know, I accepted Christ early on in life. Like I do joke with born on Saturday in church on Sunday and I was, you know, ex, you know, accepted Christ early where it's, own, but then I didn't get baptized till I was 30 hmm. because is that the whole idea of like, there was a stage in my life where I like the symbolism over substance always bothered me with things. With like, there's so many things like it's just, and it wasn't just in Christianity. It was in the world. You're like people doing things that are more symbolic than having actually real meanings. So you're like, well then what's baptism? Mm. So you threw the baby out with a baptismal water. Absolutely. <laughs> and so you're like, waiting I, on I, that I never one, doubted my faith in Christ. Like, no, it's one that of those, like to me, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> he's drinking coffee as well. <laughs> but, uh, but no, so it's like, so I can relate when someone goes, Hey, it took me time to figure out, you know, the importance of baptism in my, in my walk with Christ. So, you know, it was probably, you know, easily 15 years plus from accepting Christ to, you know, getting baptized for me in my personal story. Yeah. So, so it, I, I hope that anyone listening out there who, who claims to follow Christ and hasn't been baptized, don't, don't hear me judging at all. I, I just really like want all of us to think, what does it mean to, to follow Christ? And that's, oh, absolutely. That baptism is, is one, one great way to to be obedient. Oh no, absolutely. And it's like, and it's one of those words, like it just, like, I don't, I don't have a great answer for people on when to figure out like, but it's like, it's one of those, like if you like, I had the moment of going, am I, am I following Jesus or not? If this is what he commands us to do, it's like, it's a pretty simple step. And, and I like, think, we yeah. Talking beforehand where it's like for us, like I got baptized in a lake in North Carolina on a Sunday morning with not many people around outside the church where it's like mm. when people were doing this back in the new Testament days, like, their neighbors that weren't believers could be watching. This is a very public profession of faith where, you know, it's really safe in our world to get baptized. Yeah. If you look at baptism tanks in our churches, right? right? Yeah. If you look at Christians today in India, the Middle East, China, when they get baptized, you know, they go out to the river, right? They don't have running water in in certain parts of Africa. And so when you get baptized in Chad in a highly, you know, uh, Islamic region, you're getting baptized in a river, and word is going to spread quickly. Hey, Rob got baptized. And so, you know, all the persecution that's talked about in the New Testament, I mean, that's real in so many parts of the world today. Um, but yeah, it's, it, is, it is really interesting to think about, you know, how baptism, um, you know, what, what, like you say, what we have today is baptism, uh, baptism in a, in a tank or in a baptistry in a church. It, it can be very, yeah, very concealed and very uh, private not so much in, in so many parts of the world still. 
So then what's the, like, as we call it, like the styles of baptism, like what's the right one, like getting dunked or getting sprinkled? Like I have part of my family are very Catholic. And they're more sprinklish. And then there's also the immersion. And also in, in the time of life, there's baby, de- you know, I know our church does baby dedication. We, some churches do baby baptisms. Like what's the, where, where do we, like, is this something that's, you know, hard and steady or is this kind of like an open-handed belief? Like, it's a good question. I think part of the way to answer this question is to talk about how baptism kind of, you know, worked through history. And so, uh, Darren, let's rapid fire a little history of baptism. Let me start. So in the first century, what you see is baptism um, was a believer's baptism. And so you, you see that in, uh, man, when, when, when Paul and Peter and, and everybody are going out and, and they're taking the word to the, the known world, people get saved and they get baptized. So it was a believer's baptism. Uh, but, but then over time, you, you do begin to see, you know, a couple hundred years after the New Testament is written, you start to see people say, well, we need to get, we need to get baptized very quickly. And so there was this, almost this theory, and this is a church history concept that three, 400 AD, it was like, well, if you got saved, but you didn't get baptized, we weren't a hundred percent sure on how important baptism was. And so we're just going to go ahead and start baptizing you and your baby. So we got that covered. And we see that that breeds into Catholicism. Um, and Darren, you can talk a little bit about how Catholicism works when it comes to baptism. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to uh, kind of go back to your first century view. Um, there, there's some debate, and I've, I've done plenty of, like, I don't know, plenty. Uh, I've done a decent amount of research on this um, based on, like, because I, my faith tradition is Mennonite, and we still sprinkle or, like, you know, cup your hands and, and then let it go over your head. So that's how I was baptized. I was not immersed. Um, and I, I knew what I was doing. I count that as my public profession of faith. Um, and, and that's different from probably a lot of people who are in, in our church and even in, in the Baptist tradition, which is where, uh, you know, kind of forefront has some roots in that. But um, there, there's some debate as to, like, that we, we call this believer's baptism. Um, there, there are some, some evidences, though, that entire households were baptized in the mm-hmm. New Testament, which includes Cornelius uh, in Acts, is it chapter 7, I think? Uh, somewhere there in Acts, where where this this centurion gets converted to Christianity, and then his entire household is baptized. A household surely included children, potentially young infants, and and there's there's records of a lot of those kinds of things. And his whole house is baptized because the patriarch of the family was in charge of the faith for the entire household. So there there is some evidence that that infants or babies or little kids may have been baptized into this new faith as a sign of of a new covenant. Right. And that's that's kind of that's where where the hitch is, is for me, like baptizing an infant is a sign of a new covenant, just like circumcision was a sign of the old covenant. And I'm like that. You know, honestly, that kind of makes sense to me. I, I'm, I'm not going to practice infant baptism, but I can understand why other churches would do that if, if that is is their tradition, especially when you have the um, Philippian jailer, you know, you see that same thing. And, and yeah, you're right. We don't know how young his family was at the time. We, we know that the. You know, when he got saved, there was a believer's baptism. But yeah, it's so, so Rob, what you have is kind of what if, if you talked about, you know, some of the way that handle it, credo baptism versus pedo baptism. So credo baptism would be uh, based on a confession of faith. So believer's baptism, like you would see um, in a Baptist church or, or something we would do. Right. So you get saved and then you go get baptized. Pedo baptism is what Darren was articulating there. It's that, you know, the, the family uh, will baptize their kids. Um 
as kind of a way, you know, where we might dedicate a child, the family would, would baptize the child as a way to dedicate them to the Lord, to raise them. Um, so it was still symbolic in, in a pedo baptism. And so like somebody who goes to a Presbyterian church, you know, they're going to, they practice pedo baptism. I think Darren, the difference really began when you begin to see the birth of the Catholic church and mm-hmm. then the way they began to look at, uh, coronation, not coronation, um, christening and the baptism that comes with a newborn. Yeah, when you had a, a close relationship between church and state, which really started in the fourth century BC, you, you had uh, baptism started to become a way of, of governments to kind of keep tabs on people, um, especially in the medieval times in, in Europe. Um, it, it was so closely tied to being a citizen of the state because church and state were pretty much synonymous. Like you had kings and you had you had your, your pope and, and religious leaders who were different and separate, but they kind of fought for power. Um, that There's a lot of that in church history. And so as, as we head towards the Reformation, um, all of a sudden you had these reformers who uh, are like, you know, Martin Luther, um, of course, is a famous one. Um, Ulrich Zwingli is another one who's not as common, but a very big deal. Um, and John Knox is another one. Um, the, these people all looked at Scripture and discovered that there was no, there was no evidence in Scripture that baptism actually washed away original sin, which that is the doctrine of, of the Catholic Church, that when you get baptized as an infant, that you, your sins are cleansed. You no longer have original sin, and that is a saving act of grace. Uh, whereas, whereas we, in the tradition of the Reformation, do not view baptism as, as that way. There, there's no saving act in it. It is a symbolic metaphor for what has already happened by Jesus's grace washing over us. And that is, is the, the tradition that we are in. Now, those reformers, some of them, especially Martin Luther in his church, in the German church, they continued to, to practice infant baptism. The main, one of the main things was because it, it was the, the new covenant, and that was one way that, that it happened. And they had some biblical evidence like that. Like Acts 2.39 and 1 Corinthians 7.14 say that children are included uh, in, in God's covenant. Um, and so that, that was Zwingli's biggest argument, that Christ had established this new covenant in baptism. He was baptized himself into this new movement that he was doing. So if, if we can baptize children into that new covenant, not as a saving act, but as a symbolic act, then, then we should do that. Now, as we head uh, towards the, the Reformation, um, specifically the Anabaptists, Anabaptist was actually a, a, a dirty name. Like it, it, was, it, it was called out to people to try to make them feel bad, but they're like, Hey, cool. We like that name because that's exactly what we're about. Like we're, ra- we're adult baptiz- baptizer- baptizers. We rebaptize people upon their confession of faith. And so there was a, a big uh, revolution that happened in, I think it was 1524, um, where or in, in the 1520s in Zurich, uh, which I've been to Zurich and I've seen the river that, that the water was taken out for these people. They were like, you know what? Um, I, we need to start this. If we truly believe this about the Bible, then we need to start this. And it was an open act of rebellion against Zwingli, who had a close relationship between the church and state, the the town council there in Zurich. And um, they, they baptized each other with water. Now it was February, it was ice cold, uh, and the, the river was extremely cold, so they didn't think it was a good idea to go baptize each other in the, in the river there. So they went and got, got some water, and they warmed it up, and then they poured it over each other's heads. And that was how the Anabaptist movement got started, and they've been persecuted um, for, for a long, long time. 
Um, my the, the tradition that I grew up in comes directly out of that movement. The Mennonites started very closely, and we still practice that just based on tradition. Now, I um, have experienced a conversion of my own upon baptism, where if you have the chance to get immersed, I, I think you should, uh, because the the um, the symbolism, especially in Romans six about dying with Christ, you're buried under the water, just as he was buried, you know, in, in a tomb, and then you're raised to new life. I think the imagery is just much more powerful um, if, if you're if you're immersed. So that's what I'd prefer, mm. even though I'm not going to be rebaptized by a rebaptism again. But yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, you know, you see that you know, 1520s the Anabaptists began, and and there was some serious persecution. Uh, a lot of them lost their lives. And, you know, just we look back and we think, wow, that's such a silly thing to be so upset about. But it was, again, like Darren said, pressing back against this tradition. And basically, you know, how it, when somebody calls you out for something you do, you, you feel threatened by that. And so, um, unfortunately, many of those Anabaptists lost their lives. Hmm. Not long after that, you start to see what what's known as the Baptist kind of movement. And so about 1609, you start to see this idea uh, of you know, believers baptism really kick in and what ha- then became the, um, the Baptist, you know, the Baptist churches, you know, the Baptist denomination and, and all that kind of thing that, which, which forefront has its roots in. Um, and, and so you, Rob, you asked, I'm going to circle back now to your question. Mm-hmm. What's the right way, you know, forefront coming out of a Baptist tradition. Um, you know, I grew up, grew up with a, the Baptist faith tradition. You know, I, I think I can sit here and have a debate with one of our, our Presbyterian buddies or, or you Darren and I can sit here and have this conversation, you know, coming out of the Mennonite tradition. And we can say there's certain things that we're going to die on the hills. We're going to die on. Right. Like like Augustine says, you know, we got to be unified on the essentials. And that's who Jesus is. And then there's these non-essentials. Right. If baptism doesn't save you, it's symbolic. Very important. It's an obedience issue, but very important. Then I don't think it's a hill we die on. I think it's something that we can defend and we can discuss. And so I would say, you know, when it comes to baptism, I do believe, and Darren, I appreciate what you just said about immersion being the right way or a way that you you have grown to an understanding on and believe in. I think immersion really, while you can make an argument for pedo baptism and family familial baptism, I think credo baptism, you know, confession of faith is the right way. You know, I, I Again, right, wrong. I think it's the it, it, it models what we see in Jesus, and then it also models the Great Commission, where Jesus says, "Go and make disciples," and then you know that means go and tell people about me. And when they get saved, they get baptized, and then they start getting discipled. I think it just it, it's a I think that model is very clean, and I think it matches biblically. We can debate with our friends that believe in pedo baptism and, you know, we can agree to disagree and it's a discussion and that kind of thing. Uh, but, but I do really like the way I, I really do like believers baptism because I think for someone and Darren, I appreciate what you said, but I think for someone who gets maybe sprinkled as a baby, they find their faith in Christ getting rebaptized. It's not required, but there's also a celebration around that, right? That you can, mm-hmm. Hey, it's confession. So I think it's an individual decision that the end of the person needs to make. Um, after they've put their faith in Jesus. But, but I, I do think immersion matches what Jesus modeled for us in the Great Commission and how he's called us. So it's one of those that's an important issue. Everyone agrees that baptism is a symbolic, you know, your faith. It's just the how, which seems like in life we agree on a lot of things, and then it's the how. Right. <laughs> yep. So, but before we wrap this up, any parting thoughts here? Uh, Pastor Darren ends. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think as as we talk about these things, you know, the hills we die on. Um, I I think that this this one is like a a pretty small mole. Like, well, how do I want to say this? It is extremely important. Like, it if if it's not a hill we're gonna die on, it's one we're gonna fight for. You know. Um, but it's because as Baptists, as Anabaptists, the vast majority of evangelicals in, in America are, are come out of this, this mode of, of a, a credo baptism where you want to, to publicly profess your faith upon a confession of your faith. Um, so it, it is very important. Um, I, I would just encourage anyone who, who uh, has been baptized a, as an infant, um, man, just talk to Jesus about that. Explore the scriptures and, and, and hear, hear what he has to say to you. Um, and, D- decide decide on your own if, if you're following jesus that is the hill we die on um but otherwise yeah we 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 really want people to profess their faith in jesus pastor drew tarwater any parting thoughts yeah i echo what darren says i think you know if you are someone who has never been baptized after saying yes to jesus i just encourage you yeah to to pray on that because i think it's such a celebration something special happens in the church when we gather around people who said yes to jesus and then publicly get baptized and so you know, i've got some friends who've been baptized a couple times you know and maybe they got baptized as a kid and they you know they said yes to jesus but it wasn't until they got a little older that they really understood what it meant and so symbolically they wanted to get baptized again and so there's no rules to this uh it, it, again it's an obedience thing it's between you and jesus but Man, it's such a celebration when we get baptized after saying yes to Jesus. So something to talk to Jesus about, like Darren said. And if you guys have any questions about that, feel free to talk to us. We'd love to, especially with Darren and I kind of being on, on a little bit, uh, both sides of the, the, you know, the thought process coming from the same place. Um, there's some good discussion around that. So obviously here to have that discussion with you. No, that's great. If you have questions on baptism or other thoughts that we talked about, email us, life at forefrontchurch.tv. Or if you're at Forefront Church, there's those boxes in the back. Drop your questions in the back. Love to hear from you. Questions, thoughts you may have. So send them our way. Life at ForefrontChurch.tv. Drew, what are we talking about next week? What's on What's on tap? Talking about the temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Looking forward to that. Thank you so much for listening, Pastor Darren Enns. Appreciate your time, Pastor Drew Tarwater. Thank you again, and I'm Rob Blasi. You have been listening to More to the Story a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, more to the story. Podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.